Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars, make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let's get right to it. I'm very pleased to be joined by Don Smiley, who is the president and CEO of Milwaukee World Festival, regarding the announcement this morning with regard to Summerfest. Don, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, sir. Now, when we last spoke in in early to mid-March, Summerfest had announced that they, they were going to reschedule Summerfest 2020 to September with the idea that it would be held on three weekends consecutively in September. The unfortunate announcement today is that Summerfest 2020 is now off the books. What happened between March and, and now? It seemed like a good idea at the time, to tell you the truth, and we thought we would buy ourselves some runway between June and, and September 3rd. But after discussing the current public health emergency with the Medical College of Wisconsin, Ascension, and Aurora, it became clear to us that it wasn't a good idea to put seventy or 80,000 people in this park and not to be able to reasonably distance them by, by virtue of our operations. In other words, it would have been left up to everyone to distance themselves. That may have worked in some cases, in other cases, no. So we were really left with no option when you, when you consider the public health and, and, and welfare of our community. Uh, it's a tough decision. I know it's disappointing to hundreds of thousands of people. We hire 2,000 people here that we won't be hiring. We have 40 food vendors that won't be working. And our staff has, has done a great job. I mean, Bob Babish and his crew have booked two festivals. We booked one in June and, and one in September, and neither one are going to happen. But we just really have to move forward and look, look forward to 21. It, we have a brand-new American Family Insurance Amphitheater that we're really looking forward to opening. We were going to have a banner year down here this year. Business, We had 300% more business booked this year over 2019. We had way more shows booked in the amphitheater than we did in 2019, inside and outside of Summerfest. So, you know, from one goal line to the next, it, it's – it's a very disappointing decision. However, we believe it was the right decision. Dan, I know you've been talking about the, the public health concerns, which I think everybody understands. Were there logistical issues as well? For example, 
I, I know a number of the, the main acts, for example, that you had booked in to, for, to perform at the amphitheater during Summerfest, they just canceled their tours in, entirely and said, look, we're, we're taking 2020 off. And I, I know that's been something that's been affecting the entire music industry. What was, was staging the event going to be difficult given the decision that a lot of bands and groups had made um, over the course of the last couple months? Absolutely. It, it, and, and that's really a global um, decision, if you will, because those tours are taken down in the United States and, and Europe and Asia and, and, and so on. So we're not immune to that here. And Live Nation is such a big, huge part of the global touring business that once they start taking down tours, you know, your content changes. And so we we absolutely had had something put together but unless you can really go full throttle and and deliver the product that people have grown to love and and expect out of this organization we just didn't want to do it in a half-hearted way there was there there there's no sense to that um trying to put 10 pounds in an 8 pound bag just doesn't work so you're correct. The content side of this absolutely played into the decision. And, you know, I should say as well, regarding the amphitheater, you know, this organization has skin in the game in that we put $10 million of our own money, of our reserve money, into that amphitheater project, which was a $53 million project. So... We didn't take this cancellation um, easily, and, 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 it, and it, it wasn't an off-the-cuff decision. I mean, we, we have an investment in, in that amphitheater, and we were looking for uh, some type of ROI on that amphitheater this summer. However, when you, when you factor in what you just talked about, the content, but more importantly, the public health perspective that there was just no other decision to make jeff well no and you know don it it, it make, at least makes perfect sense to me i mean state fair i know went through the, the same sort of thing you have there are certain expectations and to try mm-hmm. to stage an event like state fair or Summerfest, saying we're going to limit the the size of the crowd to uh, a tenth of what we typically have it just strikes me it would not have been the experience that we, we've all come to expect and enjoy either at Summerfest or at state fair or at any of the ethnic festivals etc i mean it i i it's it seems to me you should be you deserve credit for trying to pull something off but given the way things have developed over the last 90 days it, it just becomes almost impossible yeah it, it, it just doesn't work i'll give you an example the the amphitheater capacity uh is 23,380 now if we distanced everyone with with 6 feet that would have left us with a capacity or a seating manifest of 3,870. So there's just no way that you can make that work economically. But, but again, more importantly, how about the experience? I mean, right. n- no one wants to be in a 23,000-seat amphitheater with, you know, and, and just have 3,000 people there. It, it, it doesn't work. 
And for any any one of our ground stages, I mean, when they're packed, I mean, they're fun. People are dancing on tables, and there's an experience to this. And, you know, it, it, it just doesn't work. So we're 90 days away from opening on September 3rd. We would have had to sell nine shows in 90 days. And... You know, it, it again. It, it was it was just getting on us too quickly, and and we'll be faced with twenty one here coming up shortly. Because as soon as you can snap your fingers, I mean, the summer will be over, and it'll be the fall of the year, and we're right back at it for twenty one. Right. You know, I, I was also thinking again. I, I appreciate the driving thing is the health decisions, but but from the vendor's perspective, um, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that the vendors they have certain expectations as to what the crowds are going to be like, et cetera, et cetera. Right. With all the uncertainty here, I, I you know the, the vendor you you I'm sure couldn't guarantee what the attendance was going to be. The vendors don't know how many people are going to show up. It just a lot of different moving parts that just weren't coming together. It seems to me. Well, there are a lot of question marks in that regard, Jeff. I mean, um, it, it seems like you're sitting in on our meetings, but I, I know you're not. <laughs> uh, um, those, those, are, those are all things that were considered. And then you talk about the um, sanitizing efforts of each and every one of those vendors above and beyond what they normally would have done just to um, – abide by some type of protocol to handle crowds of that nature in a public setting. So, I mean, when you see restaurants opening and so on and so forth, they talk about, you know, you can open but only to 25% of your capacity or 50% of your capacity. I really don't know how they do that because at 100% of their capacity, most of them were just getting by with, with, with a small profit. No, there's other restaurants that, that, that do very well and so on, but I just don't know how you do it with 25 or 50% of what you normally did. Yeah. Well, Don, okay, that, it's obviously every, everybody, I think most people should understand the, the basis for the decision and is very disappointed, but let, let, let's, let's look ahead. Okay, so 2020 washout, we all understand why. Let's talk a little bit about 2021 because I know you've you got to be excited about that and everybody now starts working starting today for 2021, right? We'll start that tomorrow morning. Actually, Bob has already started booking bands for 21. Uh, the rest of us are just getting through today and handling the um, the logistics of actually canceling uh, right. because there were a lot of things in the works. So tomorrow morning, 21 starts. Outstanding. And I know I haven't seen the amphitheater yet, but I know a number of people who have, and they tell me it's just absolutely spectacular. And I know you're excited to show it off to, to everybody. It, it, it really turned out beautiful. It, it, it turned out the way the architects drew it up from Epstein Ewan, and Hunsinger built a beautiful building. Um, couldn't have been more pleased with the way it turned out. Uh, we're, we were waiting for some PA and lights and a band to be on the stage. We'll have to wait a little longer. Don Smiley, President and CEO of Milwaukee World Festivals, thanks for spending some time with us today. I appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you soon. Jeff, thanks a lot. 21 is going to be great. 
Okay, thanks. That's thanks. Thanks, Don. That is the swing thought for moving forward. Twenty-one is going to be great, whether it's Summerfest or other events. That's our swing thought, my friend. <laughs> Got to be better, right? <laughs> that's it. No Thank kidding. You. Thank thanks you a lot, so Don. much. Appreciate yep. it. Yep. Bye. Don, Don Smiley, the president and CEO of Milwaukee World Festivals, won his decision. And, and look, it's, I think I, I mentioned this the other day. This, this to me was was inevitable. I, I do. I applaud Summerfest for trying to keep this going i mean i think you know when when they were looking at march you know and they made the decision that look let's we're, we're not going to be able to do this late june into early july but let's try for the september dates i think it was creative i think it was outside the box thinking but you know the sometimes circumstances just take uh, control we'll have a couple thoughts on that when we come back let's take a quick break this is jeff wagner wtmj welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Thank you so much for joining us today, and I appreciate Don Smiley taking some time out from what is a very busy schedule to explain the decisions. I'm getting a couple texts saying, are you sure they're not canceling this based on the current events that are going on? That would be the protests over the last week. And and let me answer that question for for Don Smiley. Of course not. I mean, this... This is not a surprise. It is an unfortunate situation, but it is not a surprise. This has been, we've been watching the dominoes fall all summer. I mean, keep in mind, Major League Baseball, when they they suspended spring training about the same time, approximately, that Summerfest decided they were going to move to September, the idea was, hey, we we think that by by Memorial Day, we think we're going to be in a position to play baseball with fans in the stands. I mean, that, that was what the thoughts were. Well, that hasn't happened. You've seen all the various ethnic festivals that ended up canceling around here. You've seen the 4th of July events that have canceled. You've seen the um, air show that's canceled. You know, the list goes on and on and on. The dominoes were just all falling, and it's not because of current events of the last week. It's because we still have all this uncertainty connected with large gatherings. As I've been arguing for a while, and I'm going to argue in just a little bit, I think, you know, as we come out of the, the pandemic, I think one of the things that's happening is that the smaller gatherings, and by smaller, I mean 10 to 40 or 50 people, I think people are starting to feel more comfortable with that. But the mass gatherings where you have thousands, tens of thousands of people. I think we're a ways off from from having that, in part because we need to be concerned with what they they call the mass spreaders, the idea that you could have a couple people who are infected come to a Summerfest or a State Fair or a Miller Park or or whatever, and in the space of a couple hours have contact not with just a couple people, but have contact with hundreds or thousands of people. That's That's how you spread this, plus all the logistic efforts that we were talking about. I mean, the you know, how do the vendors deal with, with all this type of stuff? And, and how do you arrange the pricing? The logistics just get tough. And, I mean, let, let's be honest, also, I think, from the perspective of, of booking bands, and I appreciate what Don Smiley's saying, you know, they, they want, you, you don't want to put on a half-butt, my term, not his, half-butted festival. I mean, you, you want, I mean, what's the purpose of, like he's saying, you've got an amphitheater that seats 20,000 or whatever it's going to seat. You, you can only have three or 4,000 people spread out in it. You know, you're used to going to Summerfest on a hot summer evening and dancing on the benches and crowding onto the picnic tables and things like that. Well, okay, we're only going to allow a third of that or a quarter of that. It's just not the same sort of experience that's out there 
So, you know, why, why even try to do something like that? And there is also the logistical concern about booking the acts. Many of the acts, for example, if they had lined up for the main stage, and I would guess for some of the side stages as well, they've just made the decision that they are not touring this year. Why is that? Well, it's because, and sometimes I think people don't understand this, when, when it comes to the concert industry, you don't make money just with one show. I mean, you don't you don't fly in the Dave Matthews Band just to perform at, at Summerfest, and then they disperse and go home. They do tours. You know, Thursday, okay, Tuesday night they're in Detroit. Thursday night they're in, India, in Indianapolis. Um, Saturday night they're in Milwaukee. The next Tuesday they're in Minneapolis. You know, it, they, they do tours, and that's the way that these groups, you know, make money. Well, I mean, a lot of venues all across the country have this degree of uncertainty. They've shut down, and so a lot of the bands have just made this decision. We're, we're, we're not touring here because we, there's too much uncertainty. We can't put together these tours. We can't make the money, etc. So I'm sure it's this ongoing nightmare as well, trying to work out the logistics. You put this all together, and believe me, I, I know the people at Summerfest very much wanted to be able to stage something in 2020. I mean, Summerfest has been around since 1968, and they've never canceled before. They very much want to put something on, and they were trying to figure out the logistics, and unfortunately, we're dealing with this degree of uncertainty. Now, I don't know what 2021 is going to look like. I mean, that that's, of course, the, the other question. And I think some people are going to say, well, you know, if we've still got this pandemic, you know, going into 2021, what is it going to look like? I, I You know, I, I think there, there's only so much you can do. I think we have to assume that we're going to be on the, the better side of this and we're not going to be dealing with the same restrictions after the next six months or eight months. Don't know if if Lord forbid we're still dealing with some of these situations. OK, maybe we have to reevaluate. But right now, I think the idea of trying to stage a festival in September, it just became impossible. I know the folks at Summerfest really wanted to deliver that Summerfest experience to to everybody, the, the attendees and the vendors and all those things, and it just became impossible. And, and it's unfortunate, but it's just the reality, and it's the reality, like I say, that the ethnic festivals faced and that State Fair faced and that so many other people faced and that the sports leagues are, are grappling with now. You know, how, how do you come back and play? And I guess you can play without fans, but all right, okay. What what about the 2020, 2021 season? I mean, what what about college football? What about college basketball that that starts in you know November? What about NBA basketball? The next season that starts in November. Are you going to be able to see games at the Fiserv Forum? All those things, questions that remain open ended. Unfortunately, Summerfest 2020 is yet another casualty of the ongoing pandemic. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My former colleague and occasional WTMJ contributor, Brian Fraley, had a very interesting tweet that I, I noticed late yesterday. And here's what he tweets out. Will today be the day that Tom Barrett, the mayor of Milwaukee, finally allows restaurants and bars in Milwaukee to open at 50% capacity and with other distancing safety precautions. Hundreds of family-owned businesses are on the brink. Thousands of families are in limbo. Every day he delays, the losses mount. That's Fraley's tweet. And I, I, and I guess lost in the course of the last week, 
I, I admit, I, I, had, I had forgotten, or at least it had gone off my radar screen, that despite the fact that almost, in, in most of the state, not all the state, but in most of the state, what's happened is communities have allowed bars and restaurants to open up. There are restrictions on how many people that you can have in. As we were just talking about with Don Smiley, he was saying, I, I'm not sure how some of these businesses can make a, can make a go of it, given you know some of the capacity limitations, but that's another question. But as a general rule, throughout most of this state, you can go out and have a meal. You can go into a bar. You can go into a restaurant if you see fit. The restaurants have all sorts of different rules. I've been to a couple. I've been eating outside. I've been patio, you know, eating on the patio, but the servers are wearing masks, and the servers have gloves and things of like that, and, and capacity is, is limited. So across most of the state, that's, that's happening. You can go in. And, of course, that's very important because you have a number of restaurants that, that to this day are announcing that they, they're, they're closing because, or at least they're not going to reopen because the, the economic toll of this has just been overwhelming. So in Milwaukee, over the course of the last week, what have we seen? We have seen people completely and totally ignore the rules about mass congregating and social distancing and things like that and take to the streets to engage in, in protest over the death of George Floyd, which understandably you you get it but you know we've seen day after day after day people on the streets in the tens in the hundreds in the thousands marching together in protest some people wear masks other people don't wear masks and they're yelling and they're screaming and the particles and the droplets are going into the air they're shoulder to shoulder they're together so you have again large groups of people who are congregating on the street they are ignoring the safer at home rules they're ignoring all the social distancing rules that the health department has put in place and, and I understand, and I'm not arguing that the police should have been issuing citations to people who are violating the mass gatherings group or things like that. But at the same time, given that the genie is now out of the bottle and that the public has decided, okay, we're, we're going to take to the streets and we're going to, we're going to gather together and we're going to be in close concert, concert with each other. And matter of fact, I saw the mayor was even, you know, walking with one of the march, with one of the marches the other day. And that's fine. He has every right to do it. I'm not complaining about that. But at the same time, given where we are now, is it time to lift the modified stay at home order? Now, last week, the, the city of Milwaukee said they're not ready to reopen restaurants and bars for in-person dining and drinking. The health commissioner says, we are concerned about congregation. We are concerned about congregation. Okay, well, I, I understand that, but there were certainly lots and lots of people that have been congregating on the streets in much larger numbers than you're going to find in bars or or restaurants over time. And then they note that, you know, they're, they're still, you know, monitoring the COVID-19, things like that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I happen to believe that we should have opened up the state sooner. I happen to believe that contrary to what the governor said, this isn't the wild, wild west, and that most people can, in fact, behave responsibly. And when you look at the economic impact of these continuing closures, that we're going to be dealing with this for years and years. And for everybody who texts me and says, well, you know, the economy shouldn't matter, you know, all, all that matters is, is lives. Well, no, lives matter. 
The economy matters. It's not a binary choice. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But I guess as a practical matter, if we are going to allow hundreds, thousands of people to march in close proximity on the streets, I mean, isn't it time to say, okay, well, well, maybe we can allow businesses to open up with appropriate limitations, 50% capacity, whatever that number is going to be, if they choose to do so. And by the way, people have been doing this in the suburbs, and, um, well, gosh, what's my latest numbers? I mean, it, it's the, we've been open for a while, and... COVID-19 hospitalizations hit a three-week low in Wisconsin. That is as of yesterday. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Jim on the south side. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, last Saturday, I took my wife down to Kenosha to uh, celebrate our wedding anniversary. Typically, we'd go to Milwaukee. But right. as Milwaukee's all closed, I took my wife and my money down to Kenosha to a very nice restaurant on a lakefront. I never mm-hmm. once felt threatened or, you know, got too close to anybody. You could tell a couple tables were missing. If Kenosha can do it, why can't Milwaukee? Well, well, right. And, and from your perspective, Jim, you are, 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 are you a resident of the city or are you a resident of Milwaukee County? Or both? Uh, Milwaukee County, the city of South okay. Milwaukee. So for me, okay. it's 20 minutes to Milwaukee or 30 minutes to Kenosha. Right, and and the bottom line is you you were going out. You you know, given the fact that everything else was open around you, it wasn't like you weren't going to go out. It was a, you know it was your anniversary, so you were going to go somewhere. So instead of spending your money at a business in Milwaukee, you decided to go down to Kenosha. So you went out and about anyway. So th- this whole let's force these businesses to shut down. If the idea is to stop you from going out, it didn't work. Exactly, and we and we never felt like we were you know endangering ourselves at all. Right. No. Hey, thanks for the call. No, I, I appreciate you. I mean, see, and that's, I think the majority of people are going to be smart in that way. And that's, again, it's anecdotal, but that's just what I've seen. Look, I, I don't, I, I think it's perfectly appropriate to allow restaurants to open up, put limitations on, on the number of people that can come in there. I, I don't think that there's going to be too many people that are going to be rushing into, you know, crowded bars and like, here, let, let's stand like five deep. But I, I think at the same time, especially given over the last week, that we have, again, allowed hundreds, thousands of people to take to the streets and protest, and I have no beef with that. I, I, I get it. I understand that. But at some point in time, you want to say to the mayor, you know, Mayor, you, you, you walked in this, this protest thing. I mean, you, you were there with the groups, and I understand you had, you had your mask on and that, you know, but, but we were allowing these groups to be out there. Why can't we also allow the businesses in the city of Milwaukee to open? Also, given the fact that people who want to go out and have a meal or people who want to go out and to a bar, now they're doing that. So, I mean, what what good do we do by continuing to have the, the city of Milwaukee closed down? And if the concern is, as expressed by the health commissioner, that, well, we're, we're not going to allow, we're worried about congregation, well, I, are, are you watching the television? I mean, I'm looking at all this congregation that is going on. Let's talk to Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, you really struck a nerve with me. First of all, I have voted for Tom Barrett in every election he's run for. He was my congressman for a number of years, and now he's been my mayor for 20 years. But I horribly disagree with his position on this. Um, In the last week, I've gone to three different suburban restaurants, and each of the restaurants 
was so empty. I would say the capacity was between 15 and 20 percent. So the theory that everybody's going to go rushing to these restaurants is, is just bogus. During the lockdown, I ordered takeout from some of my favorite Milwaukee restaurants to kind of help them. And now they aren't even offering takeout anymore because they can't compete with restaurants that are open in, in the suburbs. And finally, just to show you how ridiculous this is, one of my favorite restaurants, I won't mention the name, it's on, it's on the southwest quadrant of 76th and Blue Mound, which is in the city of Milwaukee. If that restaurant would be located across the street, on the northwest quadrant, or the, I should say, yeah, the northwest quadrant, it would be in Wauwatosa. <laughs> it's just right. idiotic. Well, right, and, and see, and, and I understand that. But if if the the if the rule was going to be okay, we we have a we have a bigger problem with COVID nineteen in the city of Milwaukee than other places. You could at least understand that we've got to keep stuff closed down. But over the last week, stuff. I mean, people haven't been staying home. People have been congregating in mass numbers, and I would argue that there's less chance of contributing to the pandemic that you being able to go to your favorite restaurant and sit and have a meal than than maybe you know wandering walking up and down the streets with you know hundreds or thousands of people it's, it's just we've now reached the point that i think it's past time to open up the bars and restaurants all around this area i fully agree jeff i fully agree thanks for the call i appreciate it, dennis and, and again this is we we we've seen you know what what is starting to happen now and i i understand look there's I, i'm not I'm not challenging the motives of, of everybody. I, I get it. But at this point in time, you know, the genie is out of the bottle. And it just, to me, makes no sense nowadays to try to, you know, keep these places, you know, closed. Given, I mean, if, if I was a bar or restaurant owner who was paying property taxes and sales taxes and all those things, and I was told, gee, you, you can't let people in, you know, at 50% capacity. I, I, and then I, I'm looking at the television and I'm seeing the mayor marching with large groups of people because we want to avoid this congregation. My, my, my thing would be, what are you talking about? I mean, if, and, and again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have allowed the protests and all. I'm just saying that the people have spoken with regard to this. Okay, let's go to some texts. Um, Jeff, Mayor Barrett has been a lifelong politician. He doesn't understand how people works or the people involved, um, how they, they make a, a living. Jeff, beyond Milwaukee bars and restaurants still being kept closed, it's clearly inconsistent and ludicrous. Um, beyond that, is 2020 the year where it's okay to protest things wrong with our country in large groups despite COVID-19, but it's not acceptable to celebrate it together outdoors on the 4th? Well, yeah, there's that issue on that as well. Um, okay. Jeff, um, I'm almost certain you're aware that COVID-19 cases are fluctuating and rising here in Wisconsin. Um, who knows how we're going to open back up? The protests will probably set off a tsunami of cases. Well, okay. So if, if it's a tsunami of cases, is that going to be a justification for closing everything? Sorry, I think that genie, like I say, is way out of the bottle. Jeff, it doesn't seem right. I agree with you. They need to just open up the city if there's a spike it's going to be due to the protest, right? If, if there's a spike, it's not going to be because Dennis goes to his favorite restaurant on 76th and Blue Mount. If there's a significant spike, and I don't know that there's going to be. I mean, keep in mind, we were told by so-called experts that if we had an election in April, there was going to be a huge spike. That did not happen. But now I acknowledge that at least, you know, there was controlled situations during the, the election. People, it, it 
it, it wasn't walking in the streets with large groups of people. It was standing in line separated by six feet and then lots of people wearing masks and things of the like. So I, I agree that if you're looking at a spike, there's a much greater chance that what's been going on in the last week is going to lead to it. But nevertheless, that doesn't, to me, justify the idea of why you would keep all these places closed, um, you know, period. Um, Jeff, the mayor is choking the life out of our restaurants and bars. Well, again, sure, sure seems that way, and I understand maybe this was well-intentioned, but to the extent that you continue to try to keep the city bottled up and businesses under your thumb, the events of the last week, I think, pretty much clearly demonstrate that not, not time to do that anymore. Free the businesses with appropriate the restrictions, with being smart, like they're being smart in the rest of Milwaukee County and like they're being smart in the suburbs. Open Milwaukee up. Mr. Mayor. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As states around the country begin to reopen and Wisconsin gets back to business, what will our workplaces look like and how soon until you should feel comfortable going on that special trip? Please join my colleague John McCure on Thursday, June 11th. That's a week from today at 4 o'clock for WTMJ Cares, a special roundtable discussion about workplaces and the travel industry in the age of a pandemic. WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum, sponsored by Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin, Town Bank, and Griffin Automotive Group. Uh, you know, we were just discussing the, in my opinion, ludicrous decision by the city of Milwaukee to try to uh, essentially hamstring bars and restaurants in the city of Milwaukee by not allowing them to open. And at the same time, now, now we've seen over the last week massive protests where you have a lot more congregation, a lot more mass gatherings, and that, that's fine. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but how do you look at a bar owner or a restaurant owner and say, I'm telling you to be closed when everybody else in, outside the city of Milwaukee is allowed to open and I, I and city authorities, we, we embrace the idea of people engaging in peaceful protest. And, you know, we're, so there's going to be hundreds or thousands of people that are going to be out and about. I was just looking today. There's a couple of these additional protests that continue to go on. There's one, 1230. Let's see. There's one scheduled at four o'clock for, Reservoir Park, um, that's River West. Um, there's another one, protest plan for Cathedral Square Park. That's uh, supposed to begin at 4 o'clock. The group will start to gather at 3 o'clock. All, all well and good. I, I mean, all, all well and good, large groups of people gathering together to express their unhappiness, their disaffection, their, their protest for what happened a week ago Monday. And, and that's, as long as they keep it peaceful, I'm completely and totally 100% cool with, with that. But at the same time, given that the city is now allowing all this to occur, uh, again, to put these artificial restrictions on businesses who pay taxes whether it's property taxes or sales taxes, who provide employment for hundreds, thousands of people. At this point in time, like I say, that genie is out of the bottle. And to not allow this, to me, it's just, it, it's mind-boggling. And, 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 and maybe some of the business owners need to peacefully march outside Tom Barrett's house and say, hey, hey let us open up 
as let us open up as well you know we we need to start getting back to some sense of normal and again will, will there be a spike well maybe you know maybe there will be a spike but if there is a spike it's going to be attributable to all the protests that have gone on and then you know you end up dealing with that spike uh, however you think that it is appropriate I sent out a a tweet um, if you follow me on Twitter it's at Jeff Wagner 620 and I, I link to a story in the Wall Street Journal that I, I hope you, you take a couple minutes to read because I I'm hope I'm not looking at the ghost of Christmas future here. Yesterday, the Minneapolis Attorney General announced that they were going to be upping the charges against the man who was responsible for the murder, Derek Chauvin, the man who, the police officer who was responsible directly for the the murder of um, George Floyd. They also announced that they were charging the three other police officers who were on the scene with with aiding and abetting in that murder. The Wall Street Journal has a, a really good piece, and I kind of alluded to this yesterday when these charges came out. I don't know how to put this other than to say I'm making no predictions as to how this case turns out. But for everybody who thinks that from a legal perspective that this is a legal slam dunk, I'm here to tell you it's not. The attorney general is saying, he's actually saying it's going to take us months to get this case ready to trial. He said this is, it's going to be a difficult prosecution. And you know what? He, he's right. It's going to be a difficult prosecution. Not so much the prosecution against the police officer who had his knee on the back of the man's neck, but to charge and convict beyond a reasonable doubt the other three with aiding and abetting requires the state to prove that the, the officers intentionally helped the first police officer murder Mr. Floyd intentionally helped him do that. Now, keep in mind, one of the police officers, according to the video, was actually saying, hey, we should roll him over on his side. I'm Again, I bring this up not to take any position. I I don't know how this trial is going to turn out, but I'm telling you, this is a difficult prosecution. It is not a legal slam dunk. And part of me worries. I understand that by issuing these charges, you you temporarily calmed and soothed troubled waters. So a lot of people say, okay, well, at least they, they've been charged now. I, I legitimately fear what could happen if these officers, or at least a couple of them, are acquitted. Now, I'm not predicting that's going to happen, but I'm telling you it is a possibility. And, you know, folks need from the beginning to understand that that is a possibility, or else in the event that happens... In the event that happens, I'm afraid we're going to be looking at another round of what we've been looking at over the course of the last week plus, but perhaps even more outrage. Just saying, and if you want to see some of the in-depth legal analysis as to why this is kind of a tough case, check it out on my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. During the break, a number of people were asking me, well, how, how, how can the, these three police officers in Minneapolis, um, and those are the ones who, who stood by while Derek Chauvin put his knee on the back of the the man's George Floyd's neck for for minutes. How how can they 
possibly not be guilty of, of a crime. Well, uh, again, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out kind of a breakdown of, of how this works. But you have to understand, and I'm, I'm not making any predictions as to how this trial turns out, but this is not a slam dunk. Trust me from my perspective as a former federal prosecutor here. I mean, what, what they're going to have to do to get a conviction of, of Chauvin is they're going to have to um, prove that um, beyond a reasonable doubt that he caused the death while committing or trying to commit a felony assault. Oh, okay, I, I, that seems to me that you just look at the video, I think you're going to be able to, to establish that. For the other three officers, though, what they're going to have to prove is that um, th- what they're going to have to show is that he they essentially, you know, um, helped him. They intentionally helped him commit the murder. And, and that means that they, in, in doing that, they knew he was murdering him, and they, they intentionally helped him do that. And that's, again, that, that's going to be a difficult standard. You have one of those officers who, by the way, said, hey, I said, don't you think we should roll him over to his side? I don't know what a jury is going to do with this. I don't. But this it's a difficult case. Trust me on that. And just from the pure legalities involved. And I do wonder, you know, what happens. And we've seen this play out before where you've had prosecutors that have issued charges, sometimes I, I think to try to um, again, smooth, troubled waters. You saw that in Baltimore in connection with the uh, death of Freddie Gray, who was the man who died in, in police custody. And, and that, that case turned out to be a disaster because they, they, they weren't able to secure convictions because they just didn't have the goods. And all it did was it led to you know increasing unrest because people thought, okay, well, the, the system is biased. This is terrible. You brought the charges, but now you can't secure a conviction. I'm not making any predictions one way or the other, other than to say, this is something that bears watching because it's not a slam dunk prosecution. All right. As I have said about Milwaukee, I, yesterday I, I commended, and I, I firmly believe this, I think Milwaukee Police Chief Morales and um, Ernell Lucas, the, the Milwaukee County Sheriff, I think they have done a very, very good job over the course of the last week or so in balancing public safety and police response. Now, by and large, I think that the protesters have been peaceful, and protest organizers and the people involved in the protests, they deserve credit for that. Now, there's been splinter elements that, that haven't been, but we have not seen in Milwaukee the degree of destruction and violence that you, you saw in, in Madison, for example, where civilian authorities completely lost control of the streets day after day after day. In, in Milwaukee, I think we, we've had a, a good balance, which isn't to say that there aren't tensions from time to time. Tuesday night, you had an indication, you, you, for example, there's a video that's out there. You know, the police say people threw unexploded Molotov cocktails at them. I, I don't know about that, but clearly you can see from a video that, that people are throwing, you know, water bottles. They're throwing objects at the police. You know, there's clear video that shows it. And so whether whether it's something, uh, a water bottle, that's, whether it's a 16-ounce um, bottle that's filled with gasoline or that, that's filled with water, it's still a projectile. If it hits you, it's going to cause all sorts of trouble. So you, you do have that element has decided to go after the police. I think the police in general have been very, very temperate in their 
response. Yesterday we talked about the situation where you had uh, hundreds of protesters that decided they were going to walk down the freeway. They were going to get on the freeway at 794 and try to walk over the Hone Bridge, and the law enforcement, primarily the county sheriff's department, said, no, you're not. <laughs> and and they, they moved people back. I thought that was completely appropriate for a number of reasons, including the fact that it's one thing if you want to march down city streets, all right, because there are alternate routes. Once people get on the freeway, it's a completely different situation. So I think law enforcement has responded very, very well. There is one incident, and to me it's it's actually amazing that given all the the police protester interaction that's been going on over the course of, of the last week, there, there's there's really one incident that is getting a lot of, of attention. And it's something that, that happened Tuesday night around the area of 6th and McKinley. And perhaps you've seen the, the video of this. It's a situation that takes a couple minutes. The whole altercation is about two minutes. The police taking a demonstrator into custody. Um, here's what the police say about this. And this is the police statement. The Milwaukee Police Department is aware of a video that has been circulating on social media. The video captured the arrest of a subject that occurred on Tuesday, June 2nd at approximately 7.20 p.m. on the 600 block of West McKinley Avenue. Milwaukee Police Department officers were at the location to monitor what was a peaceful protest. While on the scene, several protesters attempted to surround and block squad cars that were monitoring the demonstration as an officer attempted to take the main suspect into custody. That would be the person who's saying, let's block off these squad cars. The suspect pulled away, which I assume means he tried to run, pulled away, causing the officer, the subject, and the suspect's bicycle to fall to the ground. A brief struggle ensued, and a secondary officer assisted in the arrest. During the course of this incident, force was, force was used to gain compliance. The encounter on the ground lasted approximately two minutes, and after the suspect was handcuffed, he was immediately brought to his feet. The suspect was later identified as a 28-year-old Milwaukee man who was cited for disorderly conduct and later released. The force utilized by the members of the force in this incident is under review. Um, let's see. The individual was arrested for disorderly conduct after he and several other bicyclists attempt to surround police officers. Once on the ground, he held onto a bicycle and refused to let it go. Officers attempted to place the individual under arrest. However, he refused to comply. The police department is looking into this incident. Additional information will be provided. Now you've got the mayor out there saying, I, I think this needs to be investigated, etc., etc. Let's look at the body camera footage. All right, our number, 855 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you've seen this video, there is clear the whole thing, the whole interaction takes probably less than two minutes. And, and that's pretty much what happened. You have one of these protesters who was trying to encircle the police. All right, let's block in these squad cars. And then when they tell him to stop and they try to take him into custody, he tries to get away. And there, there's an ensuing struggle that lasts like two minutes tops. And, yes, the police are trying to struggle with the guy as he's on the ground refusing to comply. They get him handcuffed. The whole thing stops. They get him up, and they take him away. All right. Now, there are some people saying, well, for, for a moment, 
a police officer had his knee on the guy's back or the back of his neck, and this could have been another one of these um, you know, incidents like what happened in Minneapolis. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I know we are all sensitive, deservedly so, to excessive use of force by the police. But, but here's the, the bottom line of, of this. Not every time that there is an interaction between, in this case, a protester and the police department, it's not all, the, the idea that you're never going to be able to use any force, I, I'm sorry, it just, it just doesn't work out. You know, here the situation is you have somebody who's trying to block the squad cars. They decide that they're going to arrest him. He tries to get away, and he resists. You know, they, they fall over. A police officer falls over. He falls over. They're wrestling with him on the ground to try to get him under control. Nobody tases him. Nobody pulls out a club and beats him. They do wrestle with him. And, yes, it does appear that for at least a very brief period of time, an officer uses his knee as leverage to try to keep the guy down so he and another officer can then put the handcuffs on him. Then they pick him up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, when it comes to police use of force, does something like this, under the circumstances, strike you as being unreasonable? Now, again, none of this happens if, if the man complies, all right? And, and it is a set of circumstances where, yes, the police do, in fact, have to restrain the guy. But, but, but who is responsible for that? And at some point in time, don't we have to give law enforcement at least a little bit of leeway to take people into custody when they decide that they don't want to be taken into custody? And that is not not an endorsement of excessive police brutality or excessive violence. It's simply an understanding that if people are going to struggle with the police, um, if you don't want this thing to escalate, They've got to be able to use at least a little bit of force to try to get the situation under control. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I will say, in general, I have been, I have been favorably impressed with the way local authorities around here have reacted. I've been impressed with the degree of restraint that they have shown. And again, you maybe you can criticize, oh, should people have used tear gas to disperse this crowd after they threw stuff at the police? Oh, okay, you know, that, that's something, you know, you can go back and you can armchair quarterback. But this, I'm looking at this video, and for example, this is not a George Floyd moment. This is the police trying to do their job and somebody who decides that they want to struggle with the police. There's always going to be at least some use of force used, isn't there? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in this particular case, by the way, there, there's no racial component to this. This is not, this isn't that issue. Okay, what do you think? If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, it looks like there's some text. Jeff, it looks like some of the protesters are baiting the officers to do something. Well, I, I think some are. The vast majority of the protesters around here, I think, have behaved in an incredibly responsible fashion. But, yeah, you, you've got a handful of people. I, when, when you are throwing objects at the police, 
you're you're going to get a response. That that's that's just it. And I don't know if they're unlit Molotov cocktails or whether again they're they're full water bottles. But if you're throwing things at people. At the police, yes, you are baiting them for a response. Jeff, I think the actions were completely reasonable. Um, look no further than Madison to see where it goes when the police end up retreating. Jeff, if people comply with police, there would not be any excessive force issues. Police should be allowed or use a reasonable amount of force in order to gain control of the subject. Once the police gain control, then the use of force stops, which, by the way, is precisely what what I saw going on in this particular video you you yes you, you've got somebody that is struggling with you uh, and, and unlike what happened in minneapolis where you have somebody who's under control you know he's handcuffed he's not going anywhere and you have a police officer sitting on his neck for seven or eight minutes in the case here in milwaukee you have somebody who is not under control who is struggling with the police they are struggling to get him under control as soon as they get him handcuffed they pick him up and take him off um, Jeff, I am a current police officer, and I always explain to people what it's like taking resistive subjects into custody. Imagine a grown man struggling as hard as he can to get away from you, and you have to try to subdue him, sometimes by yourself, without causing injury to him, you, or the public. The things that we are asked to do are often mind-boggling. Yeah, we do them on a daily basis across the country without incident. Yeah, that's, that is exactly right. Mark in Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Um, thanks a lot for taking my call. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm, I think the police overall are doing a really good job besides one or two incidents that obviously happened the past couple months. But if someone crosses that line and they resist arrest, then, well, police have to do something. They can't just, they have to do what they have to do besides getting real aggressive themselves if they person gets aggressive with the police well then the police have to do something to control that and get it under control without using real well, excessive force well, other than that i think they're doing a really good job thanks I, for really call, Mark. I, I agree no I, I i do too i think you know you you have to right you you the, the question is is reasonable tristan in uh wapaka tristan you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon Jeff. how are you i'm good thank you was this a how, how what kind of job are the cops doing around here uh, truthfully, I think local authorities, from what we've seen uh, in the states, uh, are doing rather well. I mean, you, you mentioned before Madison could definitely be better. That, that's completely true. Uh, but in that, you know, in terms of use of force, I think locally, Wisconsin, we've been doing rather well. There hasn't been a whole lot of incidents. And uh, like your last guest just said, you know, if, um, if people are going to get rowdy, cops need to be able to subdue them and uh, use force when necessary. So I, I think overall, locally, they've been doing well. Um, there have been a few incidents where I've seen video sure. online, you know, the riot gear police doing some things questionable, but, you know, that, that, that's, that's going to be anywhere. The cops are stressed, overworked right now. That they need they need an advocate, right. too, just like uh, the Black Lives Matter does as well. Th- thanks for call, Tristan. I mean, I, again, it, it's, just, it's a very, very difficult job trying to keep the peace. And if people are throwing... Uh, you know, I mean, I'm throwing water bottles. Now, that that's not that happened after this arrest that we're talking about. So, the, as far as the timeline goes, but okay, you got somebody trying to block, organize people to block in squad cars. You try to take him into custody. He tries to get away. His bike falls over. You wrestle with him for a very brief period of time, get him under control. Okay, that's that's just what's going to happen when you engage in this fashion with the police. I repeat what I said yesterday. I think at least locally, you're seeing a very good job. Back with more. 
in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thank you so very much for spending your Thursday afternoon with me. Gorgeous day outside. All right. This is a controversy from the Madison area. It involves police from the community of Monona. And this happened on Tuesday. Okay, here's the deal. And it gets a little bit complicated, but let me see if I can break it down. Um, there's a, a woman who is th- this this neighbor. And, and what she says is she calls the police. And she, she tells the police that there is an, an African-American man who's uh, in this house um, next door to her across the street. She says the police, the home had been vacant after the previous resident passed away. And, and there's somebody in this house, and, and I don't think he should be there. Okay, And she does identify him as being African-American. Now, the responding police officers are not told about the race. They're just told that, um, hey, we, we have a neighbor who's reporting that there might be a burglary. There's a suspicious person in this house. So the officers, they, they go over to the house based on, on this call. And, again, the, the, they, they're not told the, about the racial comment that the woman who's reporting this. They're just told, hey, we've got this. Go investigate that there, there's somebody in this house. The house has been vacant. Okay. So the officers get to the house. They find the front door unsecured. When they arrive, they say they knock on the door. They announce their presence. They nobody comes to the door, but they hear somebody talking inside. At that point in time, they figure, okay, th- this might be a burglary that is in progress. So what they do is they they're investigating the burglary. They draw their guns. So they go into the house. They find this 23 year old man who happens to be African American. They find him in the house. They detain him. They place him in handcuffs while they investigate. The guy tells officers that he's renting the house from the previous homeowner's son. So in other words, it was owned by a a lady. The lady dies. Her son, I guess, inherits the house. And he says, "I'm, I'm renting the house from them. The officers contact the son. And he confirms that, um, yeah, th- this is a uh, th- this is this is the guy. The guy that you are detaining is a friend of the man that I had had rented the house to, and yes, that that I know him. And they say, okay, well, that's fine. Given the circumstances, the handcuffs are removed. We they say we're, we're sorry. We apologize for this. We were investigating a burglary in progress, and we're, we're sorry. This is what happened after the incident. The guy who had been handcuffed and the the renter, um, they go to the police department. They file a formal complaint. The officers involved comes out and says, "Look, I'm 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 sorry. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we we were just investigating this this burglary complaint, and and yeah, we this is what we we did. But they've now filed a complaint, and this story is actually it's getting a little bit of 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 traction about the question being, did the Monona police overreact here um, in what they did. And then, of course, you know, you've got um, the spokesperson for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin tweeting, it shouldn't be any news to you, but calling the police on black people simply for existing in predominantly white spaces is a blatant act of violence. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it seems to me there's two issues. I, I don't 
the neighbor, you know, who, who uses race when she's identifying that, yeah, I see this person, this house has been vacant, there's somebody who doesn't look like they belong here, etc. All right, th- th- that's one thing. And I want to put that whole issue aside as to whether she should have made that call in the first place. But I want to talk about the police response in this situation. You are police officers. You're, you're out on patrol. You get a call from your dispatch saying, hey, we have, we have a report that there might be a burglary that is in progress. It's been called in. You go out to the scene, and, you know, the, the report is this house has been vacant. There are now these people in there. You go in. Nobody comes to the door when you first, you know, bring the doorbell or knock and announce your presence. You go in. You're investigating this burglary. You have your guns drawn. All right, did the police respond inappropriately in this situation? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I guess put another way, if the police didn't act appropriately here, what is it that they should have done? How how do you handle a situation like this? Now, as it turns out, this was not a burglary in, in progress. The, the guy that they ended up putting in handcuffs temporarily was a friend of the person who had rented the place. The neighbor did not know the place had been rented. It had been vacant. So this is clearly, it is a misunderstanding on all sorts of different levels. Apart from whether or not she should have called in the report in the first place, if you're the police, you know, what do you do? Do you not investigate? Do you not go in when somebody doesn't come to the door? Do you not draw your gun? Do you not detain? And the one guy, he was put in handcuffs for, I, I don't think it was any long period of time, but just long enough to make the phone call to verify that you know he was legitimately there. All right, should the police not have done this? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. How do you handle this? When we come back, and matter of fact, Gru is lining up the calls right now. When we come back, I'll, I'll tell you how I would have handled this. And I don't think the police were 100% right in this particular matter. At the same time, what are the cops supposed to do? We discuss in just a minute. Were the police wrong in how they handled this situation? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that this story is getting a lot of attention, and I, I understand, particularly when we have the you add on the racial element to this. You know, people need to be sensitive. But I, I this is one of the things where I, I think sometimes you have to kind of take a step back and try to evaluate things from the perspective of the police officers. You get a call from a. a it's you know you're just out on on patrol you get a call from a neighbor who you know has called patrol and they've said look this house has been vacant and and there there are these people that are in the house i don't think they belong there you go over to the house you're the police officer so you're responding let's check this out you bang on the door there's nobody nobody comes to the door you hear voices inside at that point in time you, you go inside you are worried that there is a burglary in process you you have your you have your guns. You, you draw your gun because you don't know what you're going to find. You find a guy. You say, okay, look, okay, we're going to You sit down. They put your hands up. He puts his hands up. They handcuff him. They hold him there. They restrain him. They ask what the story is. He tells them. They make this phone call, and they immediately determine that, okay, he's legitimately in this place, and, and then you move on. All right, did the, the police mishandle this? Gianni and Montello, you're on WTMJ. 
Well, Jeff, it seems like if you're a copper today, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, the, the police are obligated to investigate because they got a call, so they're just doing their job. Um, and they, it probably goes down in a report. So um, the, the irony um, of all this is you said that the, the owner filed a complaint as well with the police? No. Is that correct? No, no, no. The no, no, no. The 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 renter filed a complaint as well as the, oh. the the guy that was handcuffed was a friend of the guy who had rented the place. I I see. Okay. So uh, yeah. um, it, it seems to me that um, the, the police were in the right. Uh, you, you know, they they don't know who the person is. Um, right. And you know, we're living in the United States. This is not Iceland here. There are a lot of guns floating around. Um, uh, so you've got to you've got to investigate, and and if the cops have to handcuff him for you know for five minutes or a half hour to do an investigation to see that everything is on the level, that's fine. That's I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, so well, thanks for calling. No, 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 I'm sorry. Thank, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. It's I, I guess I. I here, here's the deal. I, I don't I don't know what their protocols are. I, let me say this. I have obviously it was completely appropriate to investigate. What what are you going to do? You get a report that suggests there might be a burglary in progress. You you got to go out and investigate. If I'm a police officer and I'm investigating a burglary in progress, I I, I knock on the door. Nobody answers, but I hear voices inside. That that that. And again, this wasn't a burglary. I, I get that. I understand that. But that's Monday morning quarterbacking. The police on the scene don't know that. You hear voices inside. Nobody's come to the door. You're investigating a burglary in progress. That that tells you, at least for me, that tells me, okay, we've now got to ratchet this up to the next step. And so, yes, you know, you, you draw your gun. You know, nobody shot the guns, but this is a situation where, you know, you, you want to be prepared in case that's what happened. All right. Then at that point in time, you know, you have the occupant that, that comes out complies. I, I guess if you want to find fault, if you want to find fault with the police response, I guess the question to me, it's not whether they drew their guns. That was clearly, I think, appropriate. The question is whether while you are verifying the story, do you need to physically detain the guy? Do you need to, who's otherwise compliant, do you need to put him in handcuffs while you make the call and verify the story? I guess so if you wanted to find fault with the police officer's response, it would be that aspect of the story, the fact that they decided to, you know, d- detain him um, with the, the handcuffs. And I guess that's that's going to be what they're going to have to answer with protocol. If, if this was, I don't know, a, a 50-year-old, let's be honest, if this was a 50-year-old um, white guy, would it have been different than if it was a 23-year-old black guy? And, and would, would they, if this had been me in that place, you know, and, and they come out, and all of a sudden I'm seeing these guns that are drawn, and I said, hey, look, I'm, I'm just a friend of the renter. You know, we know this people. Would they have put me in handcuffs while they're calling somebody to to determine this? And that's, I guess that's my question as to what the procedures are. But as far as the guns, no, it's the handcuffs. If you want to find some way to be criticized, criticize the police, it would be the decision to detain him, assuming the guy's not provide, not resisting, and not, you know, providing a reason to it. Before you handcuff him, it's like, okay, just just stay here. We've got you under control. We've got this whole situation. If you wanted to find fault, that would, I guess, be the decision, and that would be what you would do to find fault. But at the same at the same time, 
I, I, I would be curious to know what their procedures would be. They were detaining him while they made the investigation. Let's talk to Greg in Milwaukee. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, I, I think the police need to go back to uh, reasonable grounds. Um, I think they have to respond to the complaint, but before they enter a house, I think their, uh, their protocols in other situations I know, know about have stopped them from entering homes. Sometimes they, they respond, they go to the house, um, but they wait outside before, before they go in. Uh, I don't think they should have gone in. Uh, I don't think that it's reasonable grounds um, uh, to enter a house just because somebody's in a house after it was vacant. In fact, the fact it was vacant suggests that eventually somebody's going to be in there. It's not going mm-hmm. to be vacant forever. So uh, the police have to, at the end of the day, with each step they take, they have to evaluate what is the complaint, what is what is reasonable going forward. And I so, don't what would what, what would you have, what would you have had them do? What, how would you have handled this? So you're you're on patrol. You get the call from the dispatcher. Neighbor says the house is vacant. She's seen people in the house. Thinks there might be a burglary in progress. What what would you have the police do? How would you play it out? Uh, I would go to the house. I would ring the doorbell. If nobody answers, yep. uh, I would get a warrant before entering. There's no there, there's no reason. You know, in order to enter a house without a warrant, you have to have. Yeah, the standard would be exigent circumstances. In this case, they're going to say, hey, we think there's a burglary in progress. We, we heard people inside. We, we identified ourselves. Mm-hmm. We banged on the door, and nobody came to the door. Mm-hmm. Th- thanks for the call. I appreciate and it. Is, I, I mean, and what is going to, go ha- what is going to happen? You stand, you stand at the exit, and so the burglar stays inside, assuming that, assuming that you even have reasonable grounds to suspect a burglary, which they don't. Uh, but assuming that there is a burglar, you wait outside, they come out, you stop them. But if you don't have any evidence beyond somebody saying there's somebody inside the house that was once vacant, that's not mm-hmm. a, that 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 doesn't rise to that level. Well, thank, thanks, Scott. I'm going to I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on on that aspect of it. I, I think you know you 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 can make warrantless entries um, when there are what they call exigent circumstances, and I think. I think most courts would agree with me that, you know, getting a call that there may be a burglary in progress, the police say we, we come to the door, um, we, we find it, you know, we, we identify ourselves, we hear that there, I don't know, the door might have even been ajar, I'm not sure one way or the other, but we identify ourselves, we bang on the doors, we hear that there's people inside there, and, and yes, so so we go in to investigate the, the burglary. I, I think I think most courts are going to say that that's a reasonable response to this, as opposed to, hey, we're going to wait on the outside to see, you know, what what happens. Well, um, okay, yeah, what, what are the burglars going to do? Well, the burglars might decide they don't want to get caught and they're going to hold up and you get into a shoot off shootout with the, the police. I, I don't think the entry is going to be the problem. Again, if you want to find the problem, the, the idea is. The, the whole notion of, of handcuffing him while you're checking it out. If you want to find a problem, that's where that, that problem is. And then I do understand, by the way, that the whole other issue that's out there, which is, and, and this this isn't so much a police response problem, at least as far as I'm concerned. This isn't a, you know, do you file a complaint with the Monona police? But it is that larger issue. Does that lady, if it's not a 23-year-old black guy and it's me does does she make that call if she sees me in that that house or instead does she walk over and say 
hey, you know, what 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 happened here? You know, this house has been vacant for a while. And I then say, oh, I'm, I'm renting it from, uh, yeah, I, I know Mrs. So-and-so's son, and I'm renting it from her. Nice to meet you. And here, you know, bring me some cookies or something like that. that that's, I think, the issue. To me, it's not necessarily a police issue though, although I do concede that the handcuffing, if you're looking for a problem, the handcuffing is would be what the problem is. That being said, the Monona police apologize for this, say we're sorry it was a misunderstanding. Hopefully that it's pretty much the end of this, but who knows? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, inquiring minds want to know. I was listening to Greg Matzik's news update for sports, and the, the NBA has decided to come back. And we all know the, the plan right now. Uh, 22 of the teams are going to come back, and they're going to play eight more regular season games and then go into the playoffs and there's this kind of weird playoff thing with the eighth and ninth team and all the games are going to be held at at Disney World. There's a big sports complex at Disney World and it's kind of an interesting idea. It needed to be approved by the owners and the vote was today. There's 30 NBA teams, which means there's 30 NBA owners, and it was approved 29 to 1. Well, I, I'm sitting there listening to this, and my question is, who was the one that voted against it? And it's Portland. Portland voted against it, and I'm, and I'm not sure off the top of my head. I don't know if Portland was one of the teams that wasn't going to be invited back in, whether they were one of the teams that weren't going to be allowed to play, or whether they would have been in the eighth or ninth seat or whatever. But in any event, if you were wondering, 29 teams that vote yes, one team votes no, the team was the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. This this is predictable, but now the issue is coming to a head. The economy essentially cratered to a halt two and a half months ago when you had the, the, the spread of coronavirus. You had the government coming in and essentially closing huge segments of the economy. And even for some of those businesses that weren't closed by government order, like the airline industry, what what happened is the bottom completely fell out because people weren't traveling. We, we've talked about that. You you know maybe you were scheduled to go to Disney World, so you had you know you booked a flight, but you know the hotels aren't open and Disney World's not open, so you're not going to fly to Orlando. So even though the government was saying you you can still fly the planes, nobody wanted to fly, nobody wanted to travel. So you you had that all just just end up cratering, and people lost their jobs suddenly. I mean the the impact. On the economy, I still don't think we're going to have any idea of how long-standing it's going to be because there's a lot of people who just suddenly lost their jobs, and you know we, we don't know if they're going to have jobs to ultimately come back to. We don't know how many businesses are going to stay open. But in any event, you had an emergency situation. You had people through no fault of their own who, gee, middle of January thinks, hey, this looks pretty good. You know, I'm, I got my business or I've got my job. I'm pretty well set. And then by the middle of March, it's boom. You know, you're, you're, you're out on the streets and you don't know when you're coming back. So what government did was they passed this thing called the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S. And what the CARES Act does is for people who lost their jobs, who are unemployed, suddenly it supplements their state unemployment benefits. Typically, unemployment benefits are paid through the state. The CARES Act provides that people who are unemployed can collect on a weekly basis an additional 600 
$1,500 on top of their, their state benefits. And we have discussed this before. This has created the, the situation where there are a lot of people out there who make more. By the time you add this extra 600 bucks in, they make as much or more by not working than they do when they're working. Right? That, that's just kind of the reality. Or even if they make close to what they were making when they were working, it's like they're, they're not working. So um, a number of employers over time have been expressing this concern, saying, hey, look, as we reopen, we're, we're going to have problems getting employees back because if you can make almost as much or more money through these benefits, how, how are we going to get people to agree to come back? And the CARES Act benefits right now run through the end of July. Democrats in Congress want to extend them through through the end of this year, maybe actually through January of next year. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But but right now, you can get that extra $600 if you work. All right. Well, here's the situation. You're only entitled, as a general rule under the law, you're only entitled to unemployment benefits if you, you've, you've lost your job and your job is not available to you. So what happens when people get called back to work? All right, you, um, you know, I, I own a restaurant, let's say, and I, I've been shut down, but now I, I'm allowed to start to reopen. Maybe not fully, but I'm allowed to reopen 50% capacity or whatever. So I start calling my employees and I keep saying, hey, hey, Frank, you, you, okay, your job is here. We're reopening. I want you to come back and work as a server. And so Frank looks and says, well, Jeff, I appreciate all that, but you know what? Um, I really, I, I prefer you not call me back. I, I, don't, I really don't want to come back because, uh, gee, I, I love you and I love the job, but you know what? I mean, at least right now, I kind of like being at home and I'm making more money or almost as much money as I was making working, so why would I come in to work? Well, all right, if, as the employer, I then call unemployment and say, hey, I offered Frank his job bank back, and, and Frank is saying he doesn't want to come, well, uh, that, that, ends the, that ends the payments. Frank gets, theoretically, gets bounced off the, um, the rolls. What a number of people, and there's a big article in the New York Times about this, a number of people are saying, well, look, it's not that we don't want to go back to work. We'd love to go back to work, but, you know, we're afraid that if we go back to work, we might get sick. We're afraid of coronavirus, so if we go back to work, we, we might get sick. So we don't think we should lose our unemployment benefits, including the extra 600 bucks. If we're afraid of going back to work because we might get sick, we think we should be able to stay off work. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, does that argument hold any weight from you, with you? Somebody's been laid off from their job, furloughed, whatever. The job has now, they need you back. So you've been getting your unemployment. Now they've called you back. Should you be able to say, well, you know, that this is, uh, this is, I'm just worried that if I go back here, I might end up getting sick. So you know what? I don't want to go back. But at the same time, I don't think I should have to give up my unemployment benefits. Do you buy that argument? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of people are saying exactly that. Some states are encouraging people, the employers, to be aggressive in diming out the employees who won't come back. 
What do you think should happen? Should the fact that you're concerned that you might get sick, should that be a justification for staying out of work and continuing to keep the dough? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're, if you're just tuning in, what's happening now is employers are starting to reopen. They are reaching out. They are contacting employees who've been laid off who are collecting unemployment. The state benefits plus six hundred bucks a week federal money and they're finding that employees are saying hey well we really don't want to come back to work right now which makes sense because many people are making more by not working than they do by working so the people who don't want to come back to work are arguing well we're afraid that we might get sick if we come back into the workplace and so the question is is that a legitimate reason for not going back to work? 855-616-1620. Steve in Amro. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Well, anyhow, uh, as a uh, retired person, I've been laid off several times in the past. And unemployment was not very good when I late, was laid off. But right. my wife and I survived. We had to cut back, make changes in our lifestyle but we always made it and it was not a real issue these people now they're getting so much money there's no reason to go back to work and it's just a case of our government's knee-jerk reaction and it's it's really sad i i i think if they don't want to go back to work they should be fired yeah, well, th- thanks for calling, Steve. I mean, and again, I, I understand. And by the way, I, I want to be consistent here. I, I supported the CARES Act because this was this was such such a devastating thing that happened so suddenly. I, I think you know people had legitimate concerns and issues about you know how are you going to pay groceries, how are you going to pay rent, how are you going to pay all your different bills. So I supported that. But let's face it, this is an unintended consequence, maybe an anticipated but an unintended consequence of the CARES Act, which is there is now an, an incentive to not go back to work. Look, I appreciate that people, gee, I'd rather stay home than go to work, and maybe I've got a fear of being sick. But, well, I've been just in the last three or four minutes since introducing this, I've been swamped with texts. Let me just share some of them with you, which actually when I first heard the story, it reflects what I first thought of. Jeff, I worked in the grocery business through this whole thing. Get your butt back to work. No sympathy here. Jeff, no excuses. If you don't go back, you um, lose unemployment. Jeff, I've been working delivery through this entire pandemic. I haven't gotten sick, and I'm not receiving any additional income. In order to get our economy moving, we need to get people back to work. Jeff, this is garbage. It's all about the $600. Um, Jeff, no, if they've been unemployed and the business is open up, they have to go back to work. They should lose their unemployment because that's their decision not to go back. We are all out here working. We're taking a chance. If they don't want to work, they should not get paid. Um, yeah, see, that's that, that, when I was thinking about this argument, well, I mean, here, another text. Jeff, I've been working. My elderly mom has worked at Walmart this whole time see that's when i first thought of this jeff i've been waiting for over two months for unemployment and i'm not making anything i'd love to go back to work you know when i first heard this that's the first thing i thought of was think about all the people who were in what we've called the quote-unquote essential businesses the the people who are 
driving the delivery trucks for Amazon or the UPS truck, the people who are working for the Postal Service, the people who are working, you know, manning the cash registers and stocking the shelves at the grocery stores. Think of all the people who have been working day in, day out, and in some cases, maybe they got a little bit of an extra bonus, but in most cases, they didn't. I mean, they're, they're working, they are accepting different risks. Matter of fact, you could argue they were accepting greater risks because they've been working through this whole thing. We, we now, I think, have a bigger handle on it. I, I'm sorry, you put that all together. Do I understand that people could have legitimate concerns about, you know, going back to work? I, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, sure, but you, you can't have that choice. If you decide... I think that, you know, you, for whatever reasons, don't want to go back to work. That That's a decision that I think you get to make. But the idea that you could make that decision and then still continue to collect unemployment and $600 a week for however long this lasts, sorry, that, that just doesn't, you don't get to have these benefits paid to you and make a decision that you're not going to go back to work until what? Until we get a therapeutic? Until we get a, a vaccine or whatever? No. You know, I'm sympathetic to the people who've been working through all this. No, once the job becomes available, you got to go back. And I think that there's probably a lot of people who would love, who have lost their jobs permanently because their businesses are closed down, who would love the opportunity to be able to go back to work. John in Sheboygan. John, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I, I worked in the in the employment industry. I'll, I'll put it that way. And what I see happening um, with this extra six hundred dollars, this is to replace the income. But there are a lot of people that I personally know that will never get called back to work. They've got mortgages right. to pay. And if you do not go back to your employer, because I know how unemployment works and you fill out your weekly claim, and you say you denied employment, you lose it all. And that's, I don't have any sympathy for anybody who does not go back to work. I mean, the job is there, you need to go. On the other hand, I believe they should expect for those who need it, because there'll be, I'm telling you, Jeff, there'll be 20 million people who will not go back to work this year. And that's what I see happening in the employment industry. That's a lot of people that will not make their mortgage payments if they don't get some additional long-term help. It sucks, but it, it, it's the truth. That's all I have Got to it. say. Well, th- no, thanks for call, John. I appreciate it. And that's, I mean, I'm, and that's perhaps a debate for another day. The question of do you extend it for a- another six months? And I, I'll be honest with you. I think that there might be, there might be the need for something else to come out moving forward. And and there's different. There's different variations of this. Maybe like a, a job retention bonus where you you pay the employers that they can then distribute it to the people for, for keeping the jobs. I, I think there, there's different ways you can go. And it may very well be that two months from now, as, we, as we've started to reopen the economy and you look at what the unemployment situation is and you look at how many businesses did not reopen, because I agree with you, there's going to be a lot of them, it might be that you can figure out some other way I don't think it's going to be continuing to give people $600 because, the, the unfortunately, that that is an incentive, and you're starting to see this play out. That's an incentive for people not to go back to work. 
at least some people. It's an incentive not to go back to work. I think, you know, moving forward, it may be that there's another round of government stuff to encourage people to, you know, rehire folks or things like that. There's a couple proposals that are floating around, and I don't really want to go into too much detail about them now, but maybe they will end up being appropriate as, as time goes on. All I'm saying is focusing on this. When when the job is available and you're ready to come back, while I appreciate that look, nobody wants to get sick and nobody wants to take risks, bottom line is essential workers have been going through that you know, for the last couple months. I don't think you can make the decision that, gee, I want to keep my benefits and I don't want to go back to work, period, case closed. It is interesting about what, what the workforce is going to look like going back. I was... Um, I was talking to a friend of mine whose wife works for one of the big Milwaukee corporations, one of the big Milwaukee companies, maybe one of the two or three largest employers in Milwaukee. And, and his wife has been working at home, and they've been told, they've been told that they're going to continue working at home probably for, for most of, of the summer. Can't even go into the offices because uh, there's nobody's just allowed in. So if you forgot something at your desk when you left, you are, you are just out of luck. Um, I, I've been working at home for 11 weeks. I'm scheduled to go back to uh, on Monday, but but again, I, I'll be one of just a very few people that are in the building. Our, our salespeople aren't coming back. Our marketing people aren't coming back. It's just it's a very limited reopening, and I, I have no idea when when the rest of the in this case the non on air people when they're going to come back. But I, if if it's another few months, that would not surprise me, and that's what's going on. So. I mean, I, I think a lot of employers are being very, very cautious about how they bring people back, and who knows what they're going to look like, what the world's going to look like when people do start coming back. But at the end of the day, if you've got a job and the job calls you back, you got to go. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.